Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us today. In a few moments, Neil Kulong. We'll talk about the Steelers, their mini camp going on, and about the NFL. In general, because who knows, the Golden Goose, which is the National Football League, man, you got to start wondering if they may cook that thing. And we're going to talk to Neil about that and a few other items along the way in a moment. But first of all, our play-by-play call of the day. Leonard catches it on the logo, steps out, guarded by Clay Thompson, six seconds with five seconds. Leonard right side stops, feeds Van Vliet, Van Vliet, one dribble, get the corner, Lowry, it's blocked by Draymond, the game's over! The game's over! The game is over, the Warriors have won! 106-105! Keep the lights on at Oracle, dust those seats off, that old Barnes got one more dance! Indeed it does, and that'll be on Friday night. It'll be the last game for the Warriors ever at Oracle. Thursday, Thursday. I should say. And uh, they'll play there. And guess what? Uh, It's the last game they'll ever play in that building because they'll go to San Francisco next year. Indeed they do. All right. So uh, three games to two. The road team has won four of the five games in the series. You work all year to get home court. And same thing in the Stanley Cup. They're going to game seven tomorrow night. Yep. Oh, the road team has won four of the six games. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah, okay. Yeah, great. Terrific. You know, there's nothing like fighting all year to get home court, home ice, and then nobody can win on their home well, court or their home ice. And in the, in the NBA, it, that's unusual. In the NHL, that's, that, that's par for the course. For teams to win on the road, it it's, it always happens. It's almost uh, it's almost like Game Seven is the only thing where it really becomes a big deal. But in the NBA, it's almost commonplace for the home teams to yeah. to really have an advantage. So, well, we'll find out if it's an advantage coming up for the Warriors in Game Six. Hopefully, it is. All right, now let's see. Oh, uh, rooting interest here. I'd like to see All a Game right. Seven. Yeah, it's just okay. that's just it. There you go. Okay, uh, Neil Kulong. Look, we always want to make sure he's ever reliable, and like some in the world. Neil, welcome. It's great to have you back with us. It works out well, yeah. I'm good with that schedule. <laughs> I like it, I'm too. happy each week to be back. <laughs> We're thrilled to have you back. Uh, what does it mean to the Steelers that not only is everybody expected at minicamp, but there's no drama surrounding anything? I think for them... Um, it's a combination of two things, probably. On, on one hand, I, I would imagine there's a sense of relief, um, just not having the lingering concerns or questions uh, heading into it, things that aren't necessarily football-related, questions that they're going to be asked that they might actually have to, you know, kind of think about the answers to a little bit. But on the other hand, I, I think it's, um, 
knowing that they're going to be asked those questions, I, I would think that that's kind of an opportunity to put a little bit of a chip on their shoulders, uh, at least from the, the, the leader's perspective. They want to point out to everybody, we're still being asked about all this stuff. You're under the microscope for reasons that, that may or may not have anything at all to do with you. Right. You're going to continue to be asked questions about people that are no longer here. So with that, I, I think there's a, a kind of a, a pathway into an us versus the world type of mentality. And if the Steelers' leadership is able to kind of sell the rest of the team on that, I think it can really bring the rest of the, ro- of the roster together. Because really, I think for the first time in a long time, it, it, there's a, a largely unwritten story. We really don't know how the team is going to respond uh, to the, you know, pretty significant, um, significantly different personnel that they're going to have out there. I mean, they're, they're taking a pretty big hit just in the last couple of years. You're down Ryan Shazier, you're down Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, um, coach Mike Munchak is no longer there. Right. That's a, a, a substantial chunk of the Steelers' uh, recent history, you know, that's it, tied into those people. Um, not having them moving forward, and, and, you know, certainly it's not sudden for a few of them, and it, it, it's a new year for a couple others. Um, they're going to have to rewrite who they are as a team. I think it's an opportunity for uh, not just the younger guys, but guys that have been around the team for a while to step up and take on, a, you know, perhaps maybe a different leadership role than they've had. So I, I think those kinds of questions um, begets the scenario that they're in. So uh, how they respond to that, I think, really is going to be the difference in success and failure for this whole year. We haven't really talked about this, uh, but what do you think the impact of Mike Munchak's move to Denver, what do you think that will have on Pittsburgh? I think um, in the, the short term, I don't think it's going to be as noticeable. I think um, in, in the draft room over time, I think that's going to have uh, something of an impact when you get, uh, you know, perhaps you want to call it this generation of players, you know, Munchak's generation of starters uh, moved on, and, and Marcus Gilbert was one of them that's already gone. Uh, but you've got a, a right tackle battle brewing for, for this camp. Um, Chuck Okafor and uh, Matt Filer, those are absolutely two Munchak guys. They, they've been with him for a while. Um, he's developed them. He's brought them, in my opinion anyway, into a position where they can compete for a starting tackle position in the NFL. Um, Villanueva was one of those guys. Foster's kept around and I, I think got better uh, since Munchak came in. Ponce and DeCastro are high-level players. We've known that. We've got, probably gotten better play out of, out of the, the two of them. Uh, we've seen better play out of the two of them uh, since Munchak has come along. So I, I think the group they have now uh, is largely in place. But I, I would say this. It took them all of 15 minutes to announce that Sean Serrett would be taking over. And Serrett's been a guy that's been around that offensive line uh, for, for richer, for poorer since, what, 2011, I think it is. Um, you might remember, I think this is when I first started talking with you guys, uh, the Jack McNell experiment yeah. back in, what was that, 2012, 2013. Right. Uh, just a horrendous, horrendous unit of players that, on top of that, got hurt all the time. So uh, it, it, Sarah was a part of that and got kind of drug into that whole fiasco, um, you know, as a, a very young coach, very new coach. He learned a lot, and then he got to spend the next, you know, several seasons working hand-in-hand with Munchak. So I I think he's going to have learned a lot. He's going to be very used to the players who were in there. So I I think he's well-groomed and well-prepared. But there's only so much um, you can really replace Mike Munchak with. So all of that said, I I think um, it's not going to be a a real negative thing right away. But I think over time you're going to start to to 
to notice that they're no longer able to take undrafted free agents, give them two years on the cheap, and, and plug them into one of the best offensive lines in football. That's not something that every team has the benefit of, unfortunately, for the Steelers. So there'll, there'll be a regression here eventually. I don't think it's going to be right away, uh, provided they don't have to face a whole lot of injuries, which they really haven't in the last couple seasons, too. That That's another factor that's going to come into play. They did not have Le'Veon Bell all of last year. Now they don't have Antonio Brown. Do the Steelers have to make subtle changes offensively to what they're doing, or are they equipped to handle this with the style they currently have? Over the last two seasons, subtracting um, high production, high frequency, high touch guys like Brown and Bell, their changes aren't going to have to be subtle. They're going to have to be pretty wholesale. Um, you're going to have to get a lot more out of your tight end position, which you really haven't gotten you know high level of production from probably since 2012. Uh, when Heath Miller was at his best. Um, you're you're going to need Vance McDonald to play above and beyond his career expectations at this point. Um, you're going to need a, a, a real solid all-around effort from James Conner, not just running the ball well, but he's going to need to be able to, to uh, become a major factor in the passing game. But I think for me, if you take Ben Roethlisberger out of the equation, your quarterback is always going to be your most important player. But all eyes are going to be on Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen a whole lot of players uh, who have been put on the pedestal the way that Smith-Schuster has uh, over the last couple months. And much of that is you know, the excitement over the fact that you've got a young player who's taken the NFL by storm. You haven't seen a whole lot of players uh, in recent Steelers' memory who have had as dominant a two-year stretch as he has. Uh, he's going to, to really have to put his big boy pads on this year because they're going to be asking a lot more from him than they have. And they gave him the ball 160 times last year. So... Um, he's going to have to produce at the level of a future first ballot Hall of Famer, and he's going to have to uh, take most of the attention coming from the opposing defense each and every week. Antonio Brown did that with something of a drop-off uh, statistically, not that much. Um, he got beat up quite a bit last year, and I think his reaction to everything that happened last year speaks a bit to that. Juju is going to have to do that at the same level, but do it without a Juju Smith-Schuster that we can see right now playing alongside him. Uh, they're, they're going to have to get 16 games out of Connor to have a running game really going. They have complementary pieces in place to help the, the, you know, the, the running situation. They still have their offensive line, but they're going to need to run the ball to take the pressure off of a receiving core that, that's tremendously depleted. Uh, and that, that's nothing against the guys who are still there. That's how valuable Antonio Brown was to that offense. And uh, replacing that in a year, in my opinion, isn't going to happen. And we, we saw a drop-off a little bit with the fact that Bell wasn't in there. Uh, they didn't have a great receiving back uh, like they had with Bell. Putting those two things in, in back-to-back years with the pieces that are left, which are largely unexperienced and, and uh, um, unproven, it's going to be tough. There, there, there are a lot of things they're going to have to do. There are a lot of things they're going to have to change if they want to have an offense that can help power uh, a defense that we're not quite sure about just yet. I, I think defensively they'll be okay, but this has been a team that this offense has struck fear in the heart of all their opponents, and that's really been the key to stopping the Steelers was stopping their offense. Uh, I don't think their offense is going to be nearly as explosive as it has been, and they're going to, have to need to find a way to, to you know gut out 24 points a game uh, if they want to compete, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that, to be honest. Devin Bush, what kind of early impression has he made on his teammates? They're, they're speaking real highly of him. Um, you have to like that. I, I think, if anything, if a veteran is going out of his way uh, to be 
specifically complimentary about a rookie, uh, usually it's because he has an idea what he's doing on the field. You know, they, they don't care about your 40 time or anything like that. They, they want to know how well you understand um, the, the defense, whichever side of the ball you're playing on. I, in Bush's case, he seems to, to under defense wants to do. He's making some calls here and there. Um, the veterans are talking about him in, in positive ways. Both guys on offense and defense are, are uh, you know, praising him for what he's been able to show so far. Most of them are going to add the qualifier. It's fair to do so that it's football in shorts. You know, we don't know just yet, but uh, from a mental standpoint, if he's grasping the defense, if he's keeping them at the level that they were at, he's only going to get better. He's only going to grow uh, more in this season. And I, I think uh, the value for him is probably down the line a little bit, but I, I think he's going to be a high-impact player. I think it's pretty much a shoe-in that he's going to be rookie of the year for the team. Um, and maybe he can compete that for um, you know the league. I'm not sure the last time they had a real impact um, defensive rookie. Uh, they've had a bunch that have played a lot for him, but you know, we're, we're either nondescript or worse. So I think Bush is probably the best uh, defensive rookie they've had in quite a while. I, I think you're going to see him play at a pretty good level um, this season. If he can really ratchet it up and make that defense, um, you know, a, a top 10, maybe even top 7 unit, uh, that's able to pull out 10 wins and a division title this year. I think, for me, a lot of that is down to what Bush can bring uh, to a defense that lacks playmaking ability last year. If he can fill in for that, um, you know, they have the experience, they have the ability on that side of the ball to, to raise uh, the bar for themselves where they've been quite a bit. And the reason they traded up as far as they did and for as much as they did was to get a player that could actually make plays. You know, they, they uh, lacked that since Shazier went down. So uh, Bush is, is a critical uh, member of that defense and of that team uh, moving forward, probably for the next season, if not two or three. Uh, the NFL Players Association, and by the way, this is a typical move. Uh, I don't read anything. It's just it's a typical move. Hey, be prepared. Things go awry. That's what they're telling their players. But they have opened up negotiations and at least have started to put together some sort of framework as to where they're going with the tensions. Could this get, in your opinion? In my opinion, I think it's going to be far worse than it was uh, seven, eight years ago. I, I think the issues that came up, since the signing of that CBA, um, you don't want to say that certain policies are, are set into stone when they sign it in one CBA, but it's not exactly to roll back things that are already there. Typically, you're talking about the addition of things along with the, the, the standard um, you know, fight over what split of revenue they're going to have. That in and of itself is always going to be a big deal, but you're talking about you know, much larger social issues, um, in, in issues pertaining to punishment, suspension, Things that really took the, the form of, um, you know, contentious battle between uh, the owners and the union over the last decade. That, that's really what this decade in history is going to be remembered for. Um, the, 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 you know, off the field stuff, um, legal issues, if you want to call them that, the amount of suspension that really didn't seem to come with much precedent, um, or w- what seemed anyway on the surface to be um, you know, is valid, fair punishment for what exactly uh, a player had been accused of or found guilty of. Um, to me, I, I think the season with the last one um, cutting into the, the real prime of revenue in the NFL. I think we're seeing a decline from that uh, to the issues that came up from a labor perspective. This was kind of bound to happen. It was a significant uh, work stoppage. And to, to an extent, you look at the long game of all of this, maybe that's what they should do. Um, the, the detriment of 
you know, really digging in for, for one side or the other. They're going to have to learn how to compromise on a lot of issues that all of them hold dear. Everybody values this to some degree, but a Band-Aid solution like they had, um, is the players basically backed out of a, a fight against giving uh, the commissioner, Roger Goodell, a, as much power over suspensions and punishments as they did. They rolled over on that for the most part. Clearly, that, that didn't work out well. It didn't even take them very long to realize that wasn't a very good idea. They're going to have to fight to get that changed to some degree. Now, does Goodell want to give up that power? Um, maybe, maybe not, but whoever it is that's going to replace him after the CBA is agreed upon, that person is probably going to want that power to remain. So it, it, it's a battle both sides are going to have to dig in for. And I'm not sure either one of them has any particular reason, um, as we see it now, to uh, compromise on. So with it, that's something they're going to have to fight long and hard about, and neither side is going to want to give up any share of revenue. You know, obviously both of them are going to want more, and they're they're going to go into the negotiations expecting to get more. So, to, to me, as my you know non um, you know legal expert standing in the world, um, I I would imagine these issues are going to be too much for them to really overcome in a short amount of time, and they came pretty close to a, a um, you know missing games last time, even if it was just the preseason. They're going to have a problem this time around. I think both sides would be smart just to say, you know what, we probably need a year to discuss all of this. Nobody wants it, but I'm sure how this is going to work either way. So if, if they could present themselves uh, on both sides as being agreeable to work something out um, in an obvious way, I think maybe that will help the, the court of public opinion. But top to bottom, I'm not sure a, a significant work stoppage is going to help um, – bring fans back after they leave. I mean, we saw what happened with the official strike. You know? um, right. this, this obviously is going to be a lot worse. So I I, I think they're going to be out for a while. I, I'd be surprised if they played in 2021, to be honest with you. Which that will lead to one more question then. I mean, you try to get a read on how fans feel about items and about issues. Is there a point where the fan looks around and says, the heck with this? I think it's human nature to say this isn't all that interesting, so I'm going to walk away. But at the same time, especially in this you know kind of cause charge society that we're in, people will have a reason to walk away, and I don't think they're going to come back. And the reason I say that is it's all tied to this. We've talked about this a bunch. This kind of undefined. Um, cloud of noise that surrounds the NFL that, that's turning people. It's not any one thing, but it is several things across the board. As simple as you no longer have Peyton Manning in the game anymore, and nobody has that sort of right. you know aura of invincibility. In fact, quarterbacks that came into the league until now are 900 times better. You expect them to be that level. So Manning, in and of himself, not being there hurt a little bit. It wasn't as exciting. Tom Brady's 44 years old. It doesn't seem realistic anymore that he's still playing. Um, the Patriots winning all the time turns people off because this is a league based on parity if the same team wins all the time. Yes. People get turned off with that. Um, the, the young talent that's coming into the game isn't, you know, it's not complementing the, the, the dominant team as part of a fun rivalry that everybody wants to watch. You can get behind a, a Patrick Mahomes. Maybe he's somebody that's going to take off, but when you lose to Brady twice, it, it still looks kind of boring. Then you have social issues, um, you know, the, the, the national anthem fiasco, all as, as horribly as the NFL has handled that, along with countless different things, that's turning people off from the social level. And now I think the average person that may not be invested in any one of those issues just doesn't find it as fun anymore because none of their coworkers or friends or family are talking about it in the same 
purely entertaining kind of way that it used to be. So you put all those those things together, I think this is an excuse for a lot of people to get out of the grip of the NFL and to say, you know what, this, I'm just going to find something else to do with my time because I'm tired of all these issues. I'm tired of, of the, the non-football-related battles that everybody's getting in over it. And with that, I don't find it all that entertaining to sit here and learn about a labor strike. I mean, that, that, that's the, the lowest form of entertainment there is. Believe me, it's not fun. If I didn't have to do it, I probably wouldn't either. I think there are a lot of people that aren't going to bother digging into the details of what's going on when they can simply say, you know what, I'm just going to do something else. This isn't fun right. anymore. Forget it. And guess what? I think the worst thing that can happen in the NFL is that on Sundays you give people an excuse to look around and start getting used to something else and saying, eh, I'd rather do this anyway. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly the point. People got you know brought into the NFL. It's, it's the height of the popularity of fantasy football, yeah. Brady versus Manning, using that example again. You put all those things together, it was, it was destination TV. You couldn't miss it. You had to be a part of, of the NFL in some way, some light way, to be a part of society. That's how big the NFL was. It's got nowhere to go but down. I think the biggest mistake the NFL is going to make is assuming that they have a limitless timer on all this. It might just be that, that you know people just get bored with it. And the you know what goes up must come down. You can't stay at that level forever. Eventually, it's going to get challenged, and we're seeing maybe not a a, a, a competition in terms of another sport, but recreation time in general. People just aren't going to want to watch this for all that much longer. You know, I, I can't help but feel the popularity is due for a dip because you're going to lose Tom Brady pretty quick. Um, what are you going to do next? Who, who's the legitimate up-and-coming superstar in the NFL that people really want to watch right now? Maybe Patrick Mahomes. Maybe. Right. If, right. if that team can win, you might see that. And you might see any one of the rookies that, that uh, you know just finished their first season, anyone just drafted now. Um, I'm not saying that it isn't there, but it, you know Brady versus Manning didn't start overnight either. Uh, it, it's going to take a little while, and with a labor dispute on the horizon, which is more or less unavoidable in my opinion, a lot of people are going to look for something else to do. I, I think that's just natural. And, and even before the labor dispute, we saw it. There, you know, attendance is down 10, 15 percent. Ratings are up and down, kind of depending on which week you look at. Right. There are a lot of negative things associated with the NFL today. And I, I think people, uh, maybe not in massive quantity, but they don't want to lose 10% of their audience. I, I think there's enough out there that are just going to say, you know what, I'm going to do something else. Maybe I'll exercise or do something good for me instead of sitting around watching this. Well, nothing negative with this segment. Never is. <laughs> Neil, thanks so much. Appreciate your time, my friend. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Father's Day normally means a new tie, a pair of socks. If dad is really lucky, maybe some new golf balls. Well, Sunbury Motors is honoring dads with the father of all sales. SMC has 125 new trucks with savings up to 16 grand. The Ford F-150 has been the number one selling vehicle for 42 consecutive years. And one is sold every 29 seconds. SMC has 2019 F-150s from 25904. Plus, there's 0% financing for up to 72 months on 2019 F-150s. There's 16 of the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger 4x4s in both extended and crew cabs starting as low as 34870. And Sunbury Motors needs your old truck, so they'll give you the most money for your truck trade, period. It's the father of all sales going on now. So hurry into Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury.
taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. It's 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Get to more of that Neil Kulong interview in a moment when we talk about the money part and the collective bargaining agreement. I stumbled across this story today. And it's one of those interesting people didn't realize it happened at the time deals. The U.S. Open Golf Championship returns to Pebble Beach. I believe the last time it was there, Graham McDowell won. Well, everyone, a lot of people remember the remarkable Tiger Woods performance in 2000 where he lapped the field by 15 shots. I'll never forget him on a hole. He was 197 yards out, and he hit a 7-iron. And I sat back and went, are you kidding me? A 7-iron? This guy is, like, out of this world. Well, Bob Herrig, ESPN senior writer at ESPN.com, writes a great article today. Great article. And how people forget that round one they played, okay, then they're playing round two on Friday. Well, on Saturday, you know, I can't remember the reasons why. I don't know if it was weather-related or whatever, but... Some of the players who were in the late part of the draw on Friday had to come back and finish their round on Saturday morning. So they had to finish up round two. Tiger Woods on that Friday night, with still a few holes to play in his second round, took some golf balls out of the bag, unbeknownst to his then-caddy Steve Williams. Because he wanted to go back to the they in his room, and all of a sudden, okay, now it's the next morning. It's a night's sleep, and Tiger goes to Pebble. Well, guess what he doesn't bring with him? The balls. He doesn't bring doesn't bring the golf balls. <laughs> Right? Well, Williams didn't know he took it. So, Tiger has to finish round two. Now, he can replenish when it comes time to start round three, but he has to finish round two first. And so, they're sitting there um, at the 18th tee. And Woods hooks the ball, his tee shot, into the ocean. So Woods puts out his hand. He's not thrilled. And Steve Williams didn't give him the ball right away. Because. There wasn't one? Well, no, he had it. There was a ball. But they're down to one ball. And Woods doesn't know it. And he wants Woods to hit a different club. Because he's worried that if he hooks another one, uh uh-oh. Right. Guess what? You're disqualified. Yeah. So he would like to see him hit three wood, long iron off the tee, something safe to put it in the fairway. And they get into an argument on the 18th tee because Tiger Woods was adamant about hitting driver. 
he said, and the problem is Steve Williams did not tell Tiger it's the last ball, but Steve Williams knows it is the last ball they have. So he hits a great drive in the middle of the fairway, directly in line with that tree, the one that's the right center of the fairway. And he wants to hit a big cut over the ocean. And Williams says, look, I can't tell him we're down to one ball. He thought the nervousness was over after the tee shot, but it continued. He says, I couldn't say anything. And the reason was Tiger had taken several of the golf balls out of the bag to practice putting. Right. Well, they actually had, I think, three balls in the bag. Okay? Three balls in the bag. And I can't remember which green they're coming off of. Maybe it was 16, something like that. And Woods took the golf ball he burned with, and he took it and he tossed it to a kid. And Williams is standing there saying, he says, I really wanted to ask for the kid for the ball back. He says, but I knew I couldn't do it. Right. Wow. <laughs> so I'm down to so you're down to two. Then he hooked one into the ocean. And now you're Okay. So we seem to have lost we seem to have lost Steve for a second. Uh, we have a disconnection of some sort. I, I don't know uh, technical difficulties of some sort. And now I'm getting feedback. So uh, I, I think we've lost Steve for a moment as he was regaling us with this story. So we're going to take a short break here on the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK, presented to you by Sunbury Motors. Okay, so they survive at Pebble Beach. With three golf balls, Woods gave one away, one he hooked into the ocean, and Tiger didn't know he had only one left. They finish out the... In a minute. When did Woods find out that he only had one ball left? Six months later, Steve Williams finally worked up the courage to say, hey, by the way, in round two at Pebble, when we had to finish up, yeah, I said, we were down to our last ball. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. That, that, that becomes a touchy subject. And this was a tournament he was running away with. Yeah, he was up by six shots at the end of the second round. <laughs> he, he shot. sucked. He shot 65, 69, 71, 67. He had 21 birdies, 44 pars, six bogeys, one triple. Did not have a single three putt the entire weekend. And it's like, at, at what point, at what point, like, if, if they would have ran out of balls and he gets disqualified, okay. he would automatically... Well, it, okay. well it, you'll get a two-shot penalty. Okay. You'll start with a two-shot penalty, but then you've got you've to come up with another ball. You know, so do you run to the pro shop to get the stupid thing? Uh, do, do they carry Nike golf balls at the time? Mm. Uh, in the pro shop, I don't think they did. Um, but I mean, like, do they? Does he fire his caddy? Like, like does Tiger Woods go crazy? Because that's kind of his job. That's the caddy's job to be like, hey, yo, you well, got one ball left, dude. <laughs> he didn't know Tiger. He didn't know Tiger took the golf balls out. 
Yeah. You know, see, Tiger, Tiger took the golf balls out of the bag. Right, but what I'm right, saying, so one, what I'm saying is, at the point where he gave away the ball, he'd be like, "Hey, Tiger, you may not want to do that." Like, <laughs> well, I think it's the last thing you expect him because Tiger Woods doesn't usually back in that day. No, right. Ti- crazy. That's crazy. God. Most. I mean, I've told. I think I told you the CVS story before, haven't I? I've I've never heard the CVS story. Uh, Brad Faxon and Billy Andrade are both from Rhode Island, and they every year uh, for CVS, which is also a Rhode Island-based pharmacy chain. Okay, mm-hmm. they have the CVS Classic to benefit. I believe it. I believe it's children's hospitals, something like that. So they came up with this idea. Let's get a golf ball signed by every living Masters champion. So they go around. Nicholas signs it. Gary Player signs one. Phil Mickelson signs one. You know, they're going through Nick Faldo signs. I mean, they, they all signed. Tom Watson, everybody signs it. The only guy they couldn't get to sign it was Tiger Woods. <laughs> of course. Okay. Now, this again, this is back. He would do it today. Tiger would sign 20 of them. Okay. But back then, for whatever reason, how he was at that time, it just, you know, they just couldn't get him to do it. Now, had Woods run out of golf balls, according to Bob Herrig's article on ESPN.com, he faced the prospect of a two shot penalty for violating the one ball rule if he used a fellow competitor's ball or for undue delay if Williams or someone in Woods' group needed to find him one. At the time, Williams Woods was playing a prototype Nike ball that would not have been available for purchase in the pro shop. Jeez. Now, for, now, fortunately, William uh, Woods would hit the next one in the fairway and then put it on the green and then finished out, got a par, they were done. But Woods never knew about it, and then six months later, Stevie Williams told him, and he gave him the, what the? Yeah, right? I could imagine. <laughs> I could imagine. Well, that's so, exactly my point. Like, at what point would Tiger, would, like, if he would have, if, if it would have came down that he ever ran out of balls, like... I don't. I don't know. Like, why didn't you tell me? Like, like I wouldn't have cut it over the over the ocean or whatever. Like, you know, like well, it's, it's crazy. It's Steve, it's it's Steve Williams' fault for not checking the bag ahead of time, right? And just assuming they were all there. And it's also Tiger Woods' fault for not putting him back. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, the, the second round was started with some golf balls in there. Okay, and. I don't think any of them were lost during the round to that point. And Tiger didn't bring back what he took. Right, right. right, right. Whoops. But it's also Steve Williams' job. Although you're out there, well, it's also his job to get the bag and check the bag ahead of time. Right, too. it's like a management thing. It's like, you know, it's it's like you're walking around and you're supposed to be managing Tiger Woods while he concentrates on hitting the balls correctly. Like, I, it's just... Yeah, he now, had to be sweating. Okay. He now, had to be sweating. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Now, now you're sitting there, and as you're sitting there, Tiger Woods doesn't lose golf balls, okay? It doesn't happen, right, very often. Right, it rarely happens. So I'm sure that when Tiger took the golf balls, let's just say he took three. So there's six in the back, okay? Yeah. Well, he takes three. That's because he probably started the round with six and still had six. Right. Okay, unlike us, <laughs> where it's like, ah, I just hit a Titleist. Ah, I can't find the stupid thing. Just throw it down a Bridgestone. Okay, great. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I get in the bag here, I'll throw a Bridgestone down. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole different ball game. <laughs> wow. There you go. So, the dominance yes. of Tiger Woods. He doesn't need extra balls. It doesn't matter anyway. In 2000, there was nobody on the face of the earth even close. Uh, your Mets get your Mets get drilled today, twelve five. So ugly. Uh, after blowing a four one lead, Ugh. former Spike Luke Voigt hit a three run homer today. Yep. The United States women's soccer team beat Thailand thirteen to nothing. Yikes! Thirteen. Holy hell! Thirteen to nothing. That's an embarrassing soccer score. How do you get? Hey. How do you score thirteen goals in soccer? Well, obviously they did it today. That's crazy. Um, let's see here. Um, trying to see who who got in, but yeah, who scored today? Uh, scoring for the United States today. Alex Morgan scored one, two, three, four, five goals today. Wow. Alex Morgan scored. Alex Morgan scored five. I, I I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say right now she's the leading scorer in the tournament. Yeah, <laughs> she, uh, she's probably outscoring most teams, let alone people. Uh, uh, let's see. Rose Rose Lavalia had two goals today. Lindsey Horan had one. Sam Mewis had two. Megan Rapino had one. Mallory Pugh had one, and Carly Lloyd had one today. Now I don't know. Do they do aggregate and all that stuff in the in the World Cup? Like, could, could like the U.S. literally lose every game in the in the pool stage? Not that they're going to, but they could at this point just sit back on that thirteen goals. Do they do that type of thing? I don't uh, know. I think they've got to win. Okay. I think they've got to win here. Um. Bum, 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 bum. So yeah, they uh. Alex Morgan had five five goals today. Well, that's Alex Morgan. Alex Morgan took ten shots. Six were on target. Five of them were goals. Oh, jeez. Okay, that's like Steph Curry via five years ago. <laughs> Feeling good. Yep, absolutely. USA, USA. Yeah. Let's see here. Mallory Pugh replaced Julie Ertz. Did they Thailand have any shots? Uh, Thailand. Thailand. Here are the Thailand numbers today. Thailand had five fouls, one yellow card, no red cards, no offsides, no corner kicks. Their goalie had seven saves. Uh, they had the ball. They had two shots on goal. The United States had thirty, had thirty-nine shots, twenty on goal. Jeez. Oh, right. Thailand had two shots. Both were on goal. The United States had possession 72% of the time. Holy cow. Um, so, like, the U.S., like, like Thailand could have not been, like, I think you and me, we could have fielded a team and done as well. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so, so, so the United States... Wait, you don't States think we could have put together the, the WKOK team and, and uh, like, held them to, you know, 12 goals? The only way the only way we would have won is we had Duncan the Walrus. Okay, Manny. It's a walrus for goodness sakes. Okay? Uh, way to go, Duncan. That's fantastic. Okay. So the United States women in their last five matchups, and obviously four of them are international friendlies, whatever that means. Uh beat Belgium six nothing. 
South Africa 3-0, New Zealand 5-0, New Mex- uh, Mexico 3 nothing, and now today beat Thailand in the World Cup opener 13 to nothing. So they're currently on a 30 to nothing run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's see what not nah, see 9 30 17 30 yeah, yeah 30 30 30 to nothing. It's 30 to in nothing. the last 5. Yep. That's that's impressive. Five. That's impressive. Now, yeah. So that's uh, what they've done. Now they beat Australia 5-3. And everybody who played defense that day had to run stairs. <laughs> Uh, the United States is now, I know, shockingly, the United States has never lost to Thailand in anything. Right. Um, Cane, and I mean anything. Caning, that's about it. <laughs> I mean, nothing. Okay. Uh, they, it's interesting. They did not play a lot of the subs today. Hmm. Uh, you know, they were just feeling it, I guess. They were just, I mean, it, it, it doesn't sound like they had to work very hard. You know, like if you if you're in possession of the ball seventy two percent of the time, because playing defense is way harder than playing offense. You know, because you know where the ball is yeah. going. So also, it's a lot easier when you have way more talent. Well, yeah. all right, that's a, that's a biggie. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that does help. No, no offense. Talent means a ton. That does help. Uh, Netherlands uh, beat. New Zealand 1-0. Sweden, which is in the bracket with the U.S., beat Chile 2-0. So, As your that way you're Cup. up to date. And then your Yankees, I'm sorry, your Mets lost to the Yankees 12-5. And there's another game tonight where juggernaut Jason Vargas coming off a complete game shutout. <laughs> Who's going for the Yankees tonight? Uh, hold up. let me Let me check that out for you. I, they had Tanaka today, who wasn't really good, and it didn't seem to matter. Oh, James Paxton. Oh, no problem. I mean, he's only got a yeah. 3.11 ERA lefty. Yeah, no problem. We can handle Paxton. <laughs> it's not a problem. Yeah, yeah sure. No problem. Hoping to uh, salvage my day. Not want to hurt myself. Hey, the Phillies are looking to bounce back tonight against Arizona. They got shellacked yeah. last night. Wasted well, two homers was- from Kingery. Yeah, but I think there was 11 home runs in last night's game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They between broke the, a record. Between the two I think teams. 12, yeah. actually. Yeah, they broke a record. Whew. Yeah. There was Man. no pitching last night. Whoever was pitching I mean, had to run stairs. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. I mean, you want to talk about the definition of launch angle. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's something. And Pittsburgh is uh, dealing with Atlanta tonight, so they can help out the Phillies. So. Yeah. Well, I had a lot of fun today. Uh, yeah, we talked about the seriousness with Kevin Durant and some issues with Neil Kulong. But you had to get a couple of fun stories in there. Always. Tiger Woods down to his last golf ball in the 2000 U.S. Open. And not knowing about it for six months. <laughs> I'm hitting driver. No, no, really. Hit, a, hit an iron into the fairway. No, I'm hitting driver. Well, in the end, you're the boss. <laughs> so he hit driver. This is after he just hooked one into the ocean. Give me the ball. He this was feeling it. This is the last one. This is the last one. He was feeling it. Even with a two-shot penalty, they won by 13. Probably, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Even with a two-shot penalty, he still would have led after two rounds by four. After two rounds without the penalty, he led by six.